All right, good morning once again. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you today um, humbled that uh, the God of the universe loves us and knows us and wants us to, to hear his voice. And God, I just pray that this morning you would uh, focus our minds and our hearts and remove uh, distractions from us so that we could understand and know you, that, uh, that your truth would be uh, apparent to us. And uh, I just pray that as we, as we move through your word, uh, I pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us. And I pray that, uh, that our hearts would be um, amazed and marvel at how good you are, how great your love is. And I pray that, that we would uh, respond in worship to those truths. And I uh, pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, good to be with you. We are continuing in Psalms today as that says, and uh, Psalm 36. So if you have a Bible, if you like to look in your own Bible, flip on over to Psalm 36. Uh, verses will also be right up here on the screen. Before we get into Psalm 36, there's something I'd like you to think about and just kind of keep in the back of your head as we move through this. So uh, go back in your own memories to a time when you were a kid in your parents' home and you got into trouble whether you were little or you were a teenager, whatever, you're, you're in your parents' home and uh, you got into some kind of trouble. Um, some of you got into worse trouble than others, uh, but everyone got into some kind of trouble. Whatever it was, you, you, you told a lie or you took something you weren't supposed to or you, you partied, on and on. Um, my mom told me this uh, story about when she was little and, uh, and so my, uh, she has three siblings, my, my uncle was fighting with my aunt, and they were little too, everyone was little, and my granddad gets a phone call at work from my nana, and she says, uh, Dan hit Judy with a hammer, uh, and, and my granddad goes, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna deal with that when I get home, toy hammer, whatever, they're fighting, and my nana goes, no, your hammer, you need to get home. Uh, my Uncle Dan hit my Aunt Judy in the head with my granddad's hammer, and she needed to get stitches, and he got into some kind of trouble. I don't know exactly what happened. She wasn't that detailed. You can ask her later. Um, but back to you. Whatever it was that you did, um, you, you, you understood that, that this is not good for me. I've messed up. I've done something I'm not supposed to do, and uh, this could be really bad for me. What decision did you make when you understood the trouble that you'd created? How'd you deal with it? There's really only two decisions you can make, and so just keep that in mind, keep that in your head. We're going to circle back to this later as we move through the psalm. Let's get into it now. Psalm 36, starting in verse 1, says this, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. We find this in the Psalms, and uh, in, in this Psalm in particular, and other places too, this is a common theme in uh, Psalms and 
Proverbs and, and in the prophets especially, where uh, two people are being compared and contrasted, and, and these two people are the righteous and the wicked. We get the wicked first in Psalm 36, and then we'll see the righteous. Really big uh, common comparison that we see, and it's closely related to another pair of people that are often compared and contrasted in Psalms, Proverbs, the prophets, uh, which is the foolish person and the wise person. Um, and we see that even in this psalm. You see it a little bit in, uh, in here. You cease to act wisely and do good. Um, what you might think, if you have to picture a person uh, who is foolish, fits the definition of foolish, you might think of someone who's dumb, right? They make dumb decisions. And if you have to think of a wise person, you might picture someone who's smart and makes intelligent decisions. Uh, but the Bible's concept of foolishness and wisdom is a lot closer to wickedness and righteousness than it is to being unintelligent and intelligent. Uh, and at the center of why uh, wisdom and righteousness are like a connected thing in, in the, the, uh, the concepts the Bible presents and why wickedness and foolishness are such a connected concept of the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, and it ties it all together with wisdom and foolishness and righteousness and wickedness. So look at this. Proverbs 2, verse 1 says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. I think this makes it pretty clear, but let's, let's go over it. In, in verse five, Proverbs tells us, you know, if you're diligent about these things, uh, looking for, seeking, uh, being diligent in, in trying to gain understanding and wisdom, trying to learn, and that requires that you have an attitude where you don't think, I know everything I need to know. I've got it pretty figured out. I don't need help. I don't need to change. I'm fine the way I am. You, you can't have that attitude and get to the place that Proverbs tells us you need to get with, with wisdom and the fear of God and, and walking in the paths of righteousness. If you have humility, if you have a humble heart where you under, I want to receive wisdom, I want to receive insight and understanding, then, verse 5, you will, uh, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God are presented as these these similar and related things. And this is something God wants us to have. Verse six, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. We get all this good knowledge from God, from listening to his words, 
and understanding the meaning of his words and the result of getting this good knowledge and getting this good wisdom, the result in your life is what? What does it do for you? It's gonna be pleasant for your soul. It's gonna watch over you and guard you. From what? From stumbling onto and following the, the way of evil. And then it describes people who are following the way of evil, the, the way of darkness, these crooked paths, that you will be protected from going where those crooked paths lead, which uh, Psalm 36 at the end, and we'll see it later, tells us that the end location that you end up is, is a place of destruction. That there are consequences you invite into your life when you, you, uh, you reject the knowledge of God and you walk in the way uh, of evil. There's going to be all kinds of um, you know, consequences and things that you're just going to have to deal with in your life where if, if you understand the knowledge of God and you trust him, uh, the, the fear of the Lord will guard you and protect you. will be peace to your soul. All that to say, the, the fear of God has to do with this knowledge of God about good and evil. The fear of the Lord, it says it, uh, explicitly in Proverbs, I think it's in chapter 8, it says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. It's, uh, it's to hate the things that God tells us are evil, to understand why these things are evil, why they're wicked, to see that, yeah, if, if I do this, if I have this, if I'm okay with this, this is gonna invite all kinds of pain and hurt and destruction into my life and the lives of the people around me, and because I see that it's evil, I too hate it like God hates it. And it's to love the things that God tells you are good, to trust what he says about what's good. The fear of the Lord is making God your ultimate authority in life for how you know and you determine what's good and what's evil. It's making God the ultimate authority in your life so that you know and can determine what is acceptable and what is unacceptable and how you're gonna live your life and make your decisions. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and so I don't get to disagree with God. When he says something, my job isn't to go, do I agree with that or not? It's to go, do I understand it or not? And when I understand it, it's to trust him and submit to him. Let's put uh, Psalm 36 back up, just those, those first four verses. Um, looking now at it, the, the wicked, the people that there's, there's no fear of God for them. God is not an authority when it comes to understanding what's good and what's evil. So the wicked person is in a place where they get to look at what God says is evil and they get to disagree with him. They disagree with it, and they're, they're gonna look at that and go, well, this is okay for me, and this is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I can do what I wanna do. I can have what I wanna have. But there's still a disconnect for the wicked person because at the same time that the wicked person is justifying themselves and saying, there's nothing wrong with this. This is fine. There's no problem. They still have this instinct that they need to hide what they're doing. They don't want it to be found out. Because they know if it gets found out, if people know this about me, if it comes out into the open, people might find out this iniquity, they might hate it. 
they might, it might invite some kind of judgment into my life, and I don't want to deal with that. And so even though I'm going to convince myself that this thing is fine and good, I'm still going to keep it a secret and hope no one knows about it. And that's such a disconnect, because if it's not evil, if it's good, it's fine, and there's no problem with it, why hide it? Why care enough to hide it? Why care if people find out about it or not? And why care about their, their opinions if, if you don't agree with them? But everyone does. Everyone has something that they want to keep hidden, even if they've justified it for themselves. They don't want people to know, and they keep it a secret. They don't want it to be exposed or discovered. See, that's one of the two decisions that you could make when you were a kid and you're in trouble, and there's one lots of people make. Everyone's made it at some point, where y you're in the trouble, you, you understand that you've messed up, you've done something wrong, and your decision is, I need to make sure no one finds about, out about this ever. I need to keep it hidden, hide it away, pretend it never happened, and just hope my parents never find out, or whoever, right? And, and that's just a human thing. Adults do the same thing. We have this instinct, I want to hide my sin. Verses one through four, that this is the wicked person, this is the foolish person. The one who doesn't care about listening to the knowledge of God, trusting the words of God about what's good and what's evil, and yet they still end up in a place where they have to hide their sin. And as long as it's hidden, there's no problem for them, right? There's no remorse. Y you notice this, where there's, there's some things that people, they can keep hidden for years, and they're fine with it. But if it gets exposed and it gets found out, at that time, they, they turn on the tears, and they say, man, I'm, I'm so ashamed of myself. Uh, this isn't who I am. You know, whatever they want to say. Like, they're not sorry about the thing itself. They're just sorry that it got found out and now it's invited some kind of judgment in their lives and, and how the exposure of the thing might hurt them, might change their life, might hurt the people around them that they care about. But they're not, they're not really sorry about the thing itself because they went so long hiding it. They were so okay with it for so long. Moving on into verse 5, David starts to describe the, uh, the counterpart to the wicked, which is the righteous, the righteous person, the wise person. Look where it starts in verse five. It says this, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the, the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. To be a righteous person and to live the life of wisdom that the Bible has, uh, you know, has a concept and a picture for us. Where does it start? It starts with God. And it doesn't start with being afraid of God or being manipulated into doing things God's way because if you don't, you're going to be punished for eternity, right? Uh, some of you may have been uh, raised in a church or a home where if that wasn't explicitly said, it was kind of communicated to you in other ways 
and, and it is like a form of control or manipulation. Like you need to stay in line. You need to do the right things because if you don't, you're going to be punished for eternity. Right? Where are my Catholics at? Not just Catholics. It's just I've heard it from Catholics uh, that they can walk away with that impression. And not just Catholics. I've heard people from, from all kinds of churches walk away with that same understanding of God where it feels like manipulation, it feels like control, and it's this fear-based thing. Um, now, righteousness, the righteous life that God wants us to live, it doesn't start with being afraid of what God might do to you. It starts with being amazed and marveling at what God has done for you. So let me say that one more time because I really want this to stick. Righteousness does not start with being afraid of what God might do to you. It starts with being amazed and marveling at the things God has done for you. That is what true, biblical, saving faith is. That's where it starts. It's what leads to to real righteousness. It's what God wants for you. You see God the way that David sees God in Psalm 36, a God of steadfast love. What does that mean? Steadfast love. It means nothing can break it. Nothing can overcome his steadfast love. It's stronger than everything. It's stronger than, it's stronger than any opposition in your life. It's stronger than any opposition in yourself. It means that when God decides to love you, he's decided to love you, and you can't mess it up. A God whose faithfulness extends to the clouds. Faithfulness in God means he's true. He's true to his word. He's true to his promises, and you can trust him. His righteousness is like the mounds of God. His judgment's like the deep. God is a good and righteous judge. By the way, this is, I was re- going over the psalm this week. I was, why does this sound so familiar? So like, if you're my age and you went to church with your parents, you heard this song all the time. You know the one like, you're righteous like the mighty mountain. You know that song? Four of you know it. Uh, uh, your love, oh God, your love, oh God. I'm not going to sing anymore, but you know it if you know it. Um, I had to look into it because I, like, I was reading the song, like, why do I feel like I'm 10 years old again? And I know, I know, Ryan, you still look like you're 10 years old. Um, haha. Uh, I'm 30. One. Um, back to the serious things. Seeing God like David sees God in Psalm 36. It is a good song, but it's just a little dated. Uh, God is a good and righteous judge. He knows everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about everyone, and that means he can't get it wrong. He knows you deep down to the thoughts and the intentions of your own heart. The the frustrating thing about uh, our justice system, any human-made justice system, for as many good things as it does, and I'm glad that we have one, um, the, the frustrating thing is that feeling when when justice hasn't been done. The feeling when it just seems like th- it's been gotten wrong and, and someone's going to get away with it and there's not going to be proper payment for justice to be done. God is the judge of all the earth. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And he's never going to get it wrong. No one ultimately ever is going to get away with it. So like just for you, for any time that you've ever been hurt in your life, you've ever been betrayed, you've ever been sinned against, you've ever been abused, whatever anyone has done against you, God knows that. 
He's not forgotten it. He knows it. And there's going to be a day of reckoning where he calls it to account. He's not going to let it go. It, it matters to him because you, life, he created the plants, the trees, the, the oceans, the rivers, the lakes. Like every good thing on this earth, it comes from him. Every good thing that you've ever enjoyed has been birthed from the mind of God, placed there by the will of God. We get to enjoy all those things. He's the source of it all. But there's even more to it than that, because verse 6, man and beast you save. God is a God of salvation. And verse 9, with you is the, the fountain of life. There is salvation and there is abundant life. There's eternal life in him, and he wants us to have those things. He wants you to have those things. Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus came that we can have life abundantly. That means eternal life, but it, but it also means more than just the concept of, of existing forever, eternal life. It also means the fullness of life. It means the full life that God wants for you where you walk in the way of wisdom and you trust his words and you're walking in his way. And so because you're, you're walking in his way and you're trusting what he says about what's good and what's evil and you're living this new way, y- you don't have to carry around all the things you used to. Right? You don't have to keep secrets. You don't have to carry around all the extra guilt and regret and shame that you would be continuously producing by ignoring what you now understand through the knowledge of God. Right? Not having to deal with the ways that you, you hurt people in your selfishness when you make these selfish decisions and just take what you want to take and do what you want to do and just live how you want to live, not thinking about how that might impact and hurt the people around you. He wants us to have this life of joy and freedom and peace where we're connected to the purpose that he's created us for. This eternal purpose that gives uh, eternal significance and meaning to our lives. Like what, what we do in our life is going to matter forever. It makes a difference. It means something. He wants us to have this fullness of life. He wants us to have it for eternity And the only obstacle, the only problem that's standing in the way is that although he is, yes, a God of salvation and steadfast love and faithfulness, he's also a God of righteousness and a God of justice. And just like it would not be right, it would not be okay for God to excuse any of the evil things that have been done to you and act like those things don't matter, it would equally be not right for God to ignore any of the evil things done by you and to act like those things don't matter. Any of those things that you, even if you manage to convince yourself it's not a big deal, it's not a problem, it's not that bad, convince yourself that, but you still try to keep it hidden, you still don't want people to know about it. Any of those things. Even the things that maybe you are open about them and you shouldn't be. It's not right for God to excuse those and act like they don't matter, like they're not important. How do we solve it? 
We don't. You don't solve anything. Jesus does. His love for you is so great that he goes to the cross to take your place. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes to the cross and he pays your debt. He pays what you owe. The wages of sin is death so that you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You know, as much as David has good reason to write Psalm 36 and to worship and praise God for how, how good he is and he just marvels at the beauty and the goodness of God, as much as David has a reason for that, we have more reason for that because we get to see more of who God is in Jesus. That we have a God who gave himself for us, who went to suffer in our place when justice is done at the cross so that mercy could be given to us and God could make all things right. We don't do anything that, that makes him do that for us. Like We don't contribute to it. We don't entice him to do it. We don't have any part in that. All we do, all we can do, is respond to what he's done. Just like we see in Proverbs 2, that you'll never get that wisdom, you'll never get that righteousness if you have an, an arrogant um, disposition in your heart where you go, I don't need to learn anything, I don't need to change, I don't need this, I don't need that. You can only get those things with a humble heart. And in seeing what God has done for us in his son Jesus with a humble heart, seeing that and going, I, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I need this. I need what God's done for me. I don't want to carry around my guilt. I don't want to carry around my shame or my regret. I can't deal with these things on my own. I'm going to give them to Jesus. And I'm going to trust him to deal with these things for me. And he does. Because he loves you. And once you are his, you are his forever. There's a God of steadfast love, a God of faithfulness, a God of salvation. And it's because he is those things, in particular because we see how much he is those things in Jesus, that Psalm 36, the, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of his wings. We know we can go to him when we have trouble, when we've done something and it's bad, and we've, we've got consequences to deal with, uh, we can go to God with our trouble and trust him with it. And this is the other decision that you can make when you're in trouble, and you're not sure what to do. You can either hide it, hide it from your parents, hide your trouble away from them, and just hope you can deal with it on your own, or you could go to your parents and hide from your trouble in them because you know their, their love for you is secure, you know that they're gonna do everything they can for you, they wanna help you, they care about you. And yeah, you might still get some consequences from them, but you deserve them. And you know it's better to deal with those things than if you, you try to deal with this stuff on your own. Like you think of the example of an underage kid who goes to a party and drinks, and he's drunk, and now he's at a decision point. Do I try to hide my 
debauchery and, uh, and drive home and don't say anything and just sneak into my room and sleep it off? Or do I call my parents, ask them to pick me up because it wouldn't be safe? I think everyone in here knows like the best decision for everyone is to make the call. Because if you, if you drive, what? You could die. You could kill someone else. You could ruin not only your own life, you could ruin the lives of so many other people who are connected to, to anyone that you hurt or even to yourself. You're gonna, it's so much worse than what? Like you don't get to go out for a month or something? You can hide your trouble from your parents. You can hide from your trouble in your parents. Kids don't always do that, and there's reasons for that. You know, sometimes um, maybe they don't fully trust their parents, and maybe their parents have given them reason to think, you know, they're not going to be full of grace for me. They're not going to be very forgiving, and, uh, and so there, there's there's reason they don't fully trust them with this and, and they don't want to go to them. Um, but it's not always on the parents. Like, you could be the perfect parents. You could be perfectly loving, perfectly good, always show grace, uh, and your kids might still choose to hide things from you because it's the same thing people do with God. You know, God's our Father in heaven. He's perfect. People still don't bring everything to him. They try to hide it and deal with it on their own um, because we, we feel a sense of shame connected with our sin. We don't want people to know. We don't want them to be disappointed in us. But the righteous person, they know that they have a safe place with God. They know they have a safe place with God. Now, we haven't gotten to the end of Psalm 36 yet, and I love the way that Psalm 36 ends because I don't want anyone who's visiting here today, if you're like, if you're new, if you're new to exploring faith or you're re-exploring after a long time and you're just trying to find out, uh, wh- you know, what does all this mean? Find out about Jesus, find out about the Bible, find out about God's truth. And I don't want anyone who's visiting and exploring, and if you're here, glad that you're here, I don't want anyone to walk away with the impression that, like, the Bible's kind of naive, you know? Just saying there's wicked people and there's righteous people, like there's the bad guys and the good guys. Because you know, and I know, like, the world is not that black and white. You know, there's shades of gray. Not 50 shades. That's off limits, but some other number of shades of gray. There's... You know, no one is fully evil. No one's like 100% evil in everything they do and they're not capable of any kindness or goodness in them at all because we're made in God's image and God's grace is in us and, and it's restraining all of us to some degree and so there, we have that capacity for kindness and love and beauty and the things that we do. Even like the worst person you know, like maybe they really love their grandma and they're, they're really nice to their grandma and they just don't like you. Um, And no one's fully good, like no one's perfect. Anyone who seems like they're perfect is putting an image out and you know that there's there's something wrong somewhere in there. Psalm 36 agrees with us. It has the same understanding, it's not naive and it's not simplistically reducing everyone to a good guy or a bad guy. So Psalm 36 ends like this, verse 10. 
Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. That right there in verse 11. David, David's the one who's writing the psalm, and he knows He knows wicked people. He knows what wickedness is. He knows that they're not concerned about God or about uh, the knowledge of God uh, with regard to what's good and what's evil. Uh, He knows their end is destruction. That's verse 12. And he knows righteousness. He knows he wants to be righteous. He knows the righteous person uh, is, is motivated by the goodness of God, that they see the worthiness of God, the beauty of God. And he does, he, he sees that in God and he trusts God. But verse 11, you see the, the hidden sort of plea that he adds in at the end here in verse 11, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Drive me away where? There, there the evildoers lie fallen. David recognizes as much as I want to be righteous and I want to give regard to the knowledge of God, as much as I want to do that, I know I am susceptible to arrogance and to wickedness. There is that in me. And I need God's grace to not give myself over to that. Continue your steadfast love to me. Don't let my wickedness, the wickedness I know is it, don't let it get the best of me. What I love about this so much is that the the righteous person, the concept for the righteous person we find in the Bible is not a person who is perfect, who is always good and makes no uh, mistakes or or never sins. I don't like calling sins mistakes because they're decisions. Um, The concept for the righteous person the Bible gives us is not a person who's all good and never does anything wrong. The concept is a person who, when they've done wrong or they're aware of wrongness in them, they don't move to hide it away, justify it, keep it a secret. Rather, they move to bring it to God. We bring it to Jesus. We hide ourselves in Him. We drag the darkness in us into God's light so that it can be dealt with in the light. He can forgive you, he can heal you, he can change you. And if you've made that decision, I hope that you know, and I hope that this reinforces it for you, that this is the pattern of your life now. It's a pattern of going to him. It's a pattern of uh, identifying the wrongness in you, becoming aware of it, bringing it to him, trusting him being changed little by little and bit by bit to become more like Jesus, to walk more in his way. Let me pray for us.